every dollar you take from somebody, you owe them 10. Right? I mean, that's the expectation. I don't care what they put interest rates on a convertible note or whatever. Every dollar you take from somebody, you need to, you need to try and pay them back 10 if you want that to be a really good relationship. Mm -hmm. So just go in knowing that. Uh, can we still do it? Alright, welcome everybody to the local Storecast. I, as always, am your never humble host, William Glass. And with me are Tia Caps and Jack Studer from the Company Lab in Chattanooga. Guys, thanks so much for being with us today. Absolutely. And uh, before we do anything else, I just want everybody to have a chance to get to know you guys and what you're up to and about. So um, why don't you both just give us an introduction. Who are you? Where do you come from? What were you doing before you... Uh, started with Company Lab, and what set of bad decisions led you here? Hi, I'm Jack Studer. I'm the executive director here at the Company Lab. Uh, I grew up here in Chattanooga and then went off into the wild for a little bit uh, to college, then worked on Wall Street for a while, then got into startups. And I moved back here um, about late 2009. Uh, I've been involved with a lot of things, a um, couple of angel funds here in town. Uh, right before this, I was involved over at the Lamp Post Group, I was one of the founders over there. Um, so I've, I've been around the startup community here in Chattanooga for quite some time um, and joined Company Lab, I mean, really just because the work that they do here is awesome and cool, and I want to be awesome and cool. So um, <laughs> I joined, and we've been doing good stuff. Same. So I'm also a Chattanoogan. Um, I came back to the city in 2010. Uh, my background is in communications and PR. Um, and so whenever I first came back to Chattanooga, I was trying to kind of figure out what was going on here. And so I started doing some writing around Chattanooga's business scene. Um, and I ended up working at the Chamber of Commerce there. So um, we did a lot of storytelling around Chattanooga's economic environment and the new, you know, trends that were popping up in business here and trying to see, you know, how they fit national molds. Um, so from there, I learned about the Company Lab. This was right when um, Gig Tank, um, which was a startup accelerator focused on leveraging gigabit internet um, sort of sprung up in the community. Um, and that was one of the stories I got to help tell. Um, and through that process, I learned about CoLab and all the amazing things that uh, they do over here to support entrepreneurs. And so it wasn't too long before I hopped ship. Yeah, this is a really cool thing about the uh, Company Lab. We'll show this on the on the site whenever it goes live. But Company Lab likes to abbreviate its, its name to CoLab, which I guess is collaboration. That's the idea, right? Mm -hmm. So what is CoLab? Like what, I mean, I know you, not, neither of you were here at the beginning of CoLab, but what what is it as you guys see it? Why did it begin? Why is it here? Yeah, no, I, I think that, the, so I wasn't at CoLab when it began, but I was around town and saw mm -hmm. it. And, and the origin story is actually really cool. Um, Create Here was an entity started, you know, probably seven years ago, eight mm -hmm. years ago. Um, by a couple foundations here in town, and it was it was specifically just to get the creativity and the energy in the city sort of rebooted and and, and kicked off. One of they had a lot of fellows that joined it. Uh, that's what they call them, and that worked on stuff. One of the projects that really took hold inside of Create Here was this sort of business coachy entrepreneurial thing that became Coa. And in fact, little known fact, when the the Create Here was set, it was originally designed. Have a fuse and supernova at a predetermined date. Everyone knew that. That was one of the cool things about it. When it supernova, the accountants and everybody were like, "Hey, wait, wait, wait! We um, already have a five hundred one c three structured. 
Um, we're going to give that to Colab. And so technically, Create here on paper became Colab. Mm. Um, so it kind of, you know, the baby ate the mommy kind of thing. <laughs> like it, it birthed out of it. And so like that, that heritage and the, the collaboration, as you say, I mean, literally Colab started as a community effort, mm. uh, with Create here. And, and now, now we're, we're focused more on the entrepreneurial stuff. And obviously Create here was across arts and everything. Mm. Um, but it's, it's, you know, that's part of the DNA and that's really part of, what makes people like myself and Tia and our whole staff want to come work here. Right. You know, we're working around the high growth, really cool, really sexy companies. Um, but we're admittedly and intentionally in a support role in that. We're here to help and facilitate and create some of that like connective tissue, fertile ground, whatever metaphor you want to go with. And for us, that's what gets us up in the mornings is we want to make sure that our city is, is a fertile place for those kind of companies because it makes it makes so much better. And we could take all 40 minutes right. to list all the things right. that are better, right. but that's really kind of what drives us. Right. Well, both of you talk about being prodigal children, having gone off into the world and then come back to Chattanooga. And um, why? what made Chattanooga the right place to do collab? What's, what it, what's unique about it? What's the best kept secret? What is... What's so great about this place? Um, one thing that really struck me whenever I came back, and again, um, I came back to Chattanooga. It was the last place I wanted to come back after college, but it had changed a lot while I was gone. Um, and so I guess my perception of Chattanooga before I returned home was that it wasn't very diverse, that they didn't have as much going on in the arts as I would like, that there wasn't as much culture. Um, but actually, I was totally wrong about that. And so whenever I came back, I started getting plugged in for a creative writing group. So I just noticed there were a lot of young people um, with really great ideas, um, a lot of innovative energy. And I was like, wow, I feel really at home in this culture and in this environment. And I think Create Here had a lot to do with that. Um, they were formed to kind of help bring talent back to Chattanooga. And so Collab to me sort of represented um, uh, like a meeting point, sort of like a nexus for all of these young minds, people who have these skills and are developing skills and trying to start things, um, kind of move out on their own. And so, um, yeah, I think the culture that Create Here helped to grow in that area and that Collab was born into um, really makes Chattanooga a great place for people to come start a business or apply their skills or get plugged in. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, one of the things I found really interesting about that is that, um, that, that Collab has this cool, like a very young, cool vibe. And, um, you know, you'd walk in and you'd think, okay, so everybody here is working on an, is, is working on app development. But actually, the way I found out about Collab is my friend Donnie runs a window washing company that he that came through the co-starters yeah. uh, program. Can you guys say more about that? What the range are of kinds of businesses you guys are working with, who you're really excited about, you know, what, what, what is, what's happening in the incubation space? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, it, it goes back to like the whole vibrant economy thing. Um, you know, you can look at, at San Francisco where I lived for a while. I mean, I've, I've kind of bounced all over, but if you have a city that gets too lopsided, you know, San Francisco is having a lot of social problems right now with like the buses and the cost of living and everything. They've over-focused on the high growth stuff a little bit too much. And now, you know, median incomes, the, the, it's not a viable city for a wide range of people living. Right. Right. And, you know, whether that was by design or just a result of what happened, who cares? 
the reality here in Chattanooga is when all of this stuff was starting in the 90s and then reinvigorated in the early aughts and everything, like, this is a small enough city that you can actually design this city. And if we really want to do a history lesson, which I'm sure your listeners don't want to, but it has been very intentional. And you can take this thing back, all the way back to the early 90s um, with the aquarium and Jack Lupton and the riverfront and all these things that it was intentional that this was a city that was going to be changed and it was going to be designed, not from a controlling point of view, but from a, hey, we can make some decisions here that are going to have some big impacts. And so having an organization like Company Lab, where we don't just focus on high growth, um, we see a ton of potential there. And that's that's where the next Coca-Cola for our town or next Little Debbie is going to come from. That's just the world we live in. It's equally important that the resources are in place for the window washers and the lawnmower franchisees and the subway owner. And, you know, the, the piano teacher, I mean, literally at that level, we want viable companies. Our whole mission is viability of companies, mm. right? And so what that means changes as the market changes and we will change. So if you're hearing this, you know, five years in the future in your time machine, like we're going to adjust and this is not who we're going to be. This isn't who we were five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now it's just, this is a great community for main street companies. Um, and it's a great community for high growth companies. And, and you look at it, I mean, think about it like Squid and Bellhops are two high flyers in the community right now and high flyer only because of the amount of money they've raised and the success they've had. Everybody they bring and they hire, that's a household with a lawn need mowing, kids need taught. All of that stuff, there's all this ancillary economic impact that happens. Mm-hmm. And we want to make sure that we're serving everybody that shows up. So when big companies show up, little companies show up too. So that, that's why we have that, that sort of spectrum of services uh, offered. Mm-hmm. Forget what the I'm not coming back for more. The biggest themes that, if, like, that, that just getting getting familiar with all the things you guys put out into the world is mentorship. Um, why do you guys think it's really important for entrepreneurs to have access to mentors? Why does that matter? Well, I mean, I, I, I equate it kind of to why is it important that my four-year-old learns her ABCs, <laughs> right? And, and no, seriously, like the fundamentals of education are that we as a species have knowledge that we can pass from one generation to the next. And if if you just wake up one day and start a restaurant, I mean, that's the classic entrepreneurial thing, right? Is a restaurant. Everybody, right. oh, I, I eat, I feed my family, I can open a restaurant. Right. Like, you will find so many mistakes that you will make. And you talk to a restaurateur, a successful one, and they have made so many mistakes to get there. Why in the world would we not want to pass that knowledge from one generation to the next? And not generation like 20 years older, but from one person to the next. Right. We kind of have that infection model. So it's our hope. And look, it's great that you pointed out mentorship and capital because we think those are the things that we're falling down on right now. Well, But that's why we're working on it, right? That's why we put it out there because right. we see those as the holes. And so, you know, yeah, we want to have, I mean, our mentorship model, the way we envision it in the perfect world is like an infection model mm-hmm. where you just have a creative class and a business class that just want to share with each other. Right? They want to, oh, well, when I did it, I did it this way. 
Learn from that. Don't learn from that. Um, here's a pitfall I saw. Well, here's a great lawyer I used. Here's an accountant I used. Whatever. We think if we can create that and infuse that into the environment, that it will it will help everybody skip some of those. Um, I call it the idiot tax, mm-hmm. right? If we can lower the, the idiot tax rate in this community, sure. Um, you know, then we'll have great actual tax rates and great real low idiot tax too. Right. Um, and, and we think that's done through through mentorship more than anything. Right. Yeah. I I know that. Um... If if all I have to contribute to the world is the just the list of mistakes I've made, that won't be so bad. I mean, somebody right? else will do everything a lot better. Yeah. Um. So, but but mentorship is not, you know, terribly easy to come by. Uh, in the entrepreneurial world, I think most of the, the problem, one of the main problems, is that almost anybody who's worth having as a mentor is probably really busy. Yep. Um. What can people do who want like entrepreneurs who want mentors and don't have a company lab? You know, sort of making that greasing that that wheel for them, um, what can they do to make themselves an attractive time investment for busy people? You want a mentorship? How do you go about getting it? What are some of the things that someone could do? Be a good student. And I, I mean, I, I get asked this all the time. And the number one thing that turns a mentor off is when they're, they're mentee. And these words always get like weird and jumbled in my mouth. Right, but sure. When a mentee doesn't listen isn't respectful, isn't responsive, and thinks they're more important. Like, look, the, the definition of a mentorship is like, they're Yoda, you're young Luke, right? Right. You don't know anything. Right. You want knowledge from them. Right. Be respectful and absorb that knowledge, right? Or it's going to be a complete turnoff to the other side, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, I, I think that's if, – if you're out there and you're looking for a mentor, find somebody in your community, someone that has a shared interest with you that you respect and admire, and literally be this blunt. Walk up to them and say, I want to be like you one day, right? Like just – that if that doesn't dislodge them and get them to give you coffee, you should buy coffee. Doesn't right. time for coffee. If right. they aren't willing to mentor you after an opening line like that or your version of it, then they're not cut out to be a mentor. Move on to the next person you sure. think you'd admire. But I, I would posit, and it's been my experience, that anybody who's really successful had a mentor back in the day. They had a parent. They had a teacher. They had a coach. They had a business partner or a boss. They had someone who mentored them. And if you go in with a with really a thirst for their not that knowledge, you'll trigger their memory of that person, and they'll become a mentor for you. And it's it's really that's if there's a secret code, that's the secret code. You want to trigger their memory of someone who mentored them and helped them, and then they will pay that forward. Because trust me, it just doesn't happen that someone gets to the top totally on their own. Hmm. I mean, they just don't. I mean, even the top tennis player in the world, a single person sport. They all have coaches, mm-hmm. you know, somebody helped, they, they had someone help, someone bought them their first tennis racket because four-year-olds can't buy tennis rackets, mm-hmm. right? Like there's somewhere in every successful person's chain where they got some help. You just got to tap into that emotional situation and, and put yourself out there that I want your help. Mm-hmm. I need your help, mm-hmm. right? And you got to put your ego down and just do that. Right. You know? Yeah. Hmm. Um. Other than sort of reaching out and making yourself a good investment, um, what do you think are like what are what are some of the major obstacles otherwise to people finding good mentorship? What are the what do you see as sort of the besetting problems that, that have made you guys want to work on it so much more? Yeah, I think one of the things you touched on is that everybody's so busy, um, especially when you're starting a company in the very beginning stages when you don't have any customers and you don't have a product and you just have a napkin that you pin to the wall with a drawing. Um, you can think that every moment you need to be spending working hard, 
and iterating and building prototypes and building websites and pitch decks and sales materials and all that sort of stuff. That's all really important. And there's a lot of work to do. Don't, I'm not telling you to be lazy. Um, but it is worth eight hours of building a pitch deck to have a meaningful 30 minute conversation with a good mentor. Mm. Right. And it's probably worth it to spend eight hours finding a mentor more than it is eight hours building a pitch deck. Because, by the way, most investments don't come from pitch decks. They come from connections. Mm-hmm. They come from warm intros. They come from confidence and knowing your market. And all that stuff, you do not get online. You do not get on SlideShare. You don't get it in a business school class. You get it from mentorship and experience. And if you can get some of that experience from a mentor. So your, your actual question was, what, what are the obstacles? Mm-hmm. I think that people are their own obstacles in that they think they're too busy to take the time to go find mentorship. Um, and it really is the key that unlocks a lot of different, I mean, I, I literally, I cannot tell you how many times there's been a business deal or a job opportunity where someone's like, well, you're only in this room because I know somebody that knows you that said you're cool. I mean, it's like the Donnie Brasco thing. It's mm-hmm. like, he's with me. Yeah. Right. And that is kind of how the world works for better and worse. Like that's one of the things we really try and focus on is sometimes in, in communities, Chattanooga is definitely guilty of this. Where you grew up, who you grew up with, who you know can matter a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to create a little bit more of a, a clearinghouse where no matter where you came from, you can attach to Company Lab. And now Company Lab is the place you're from. Company Lab is the credibility that you have. Company Lab is the community you can plug into. And then we have a group of, net, of mentors. So that's how we, we try and be that middle ground where we can be the, the connector, the switch, if mm-hmm. you will, so that you know a kid that grew up on the wrong side of the tracks can come to us, we can help them find a mentor that might have grown up on the golf course, mm-hmm. right? And we can put them together and we find a lot of meaning in those relationships when otherwise those two people may never have crossed paths before. Right. What have been some of your favorite examples of that? Um, what have you guys seen that you're real proud of in terms of relationships you've helped make? All right. So here's one of my favorite ones. Um, we ran a 3D printing startup accelerator a few years ago, um, and one of the entrepreneurs in our accelerator was making custom fit footwear. Um, and one of the mentors we actually have here at Colab, his name is George Brown. He used to work with Uli Becker, the former CEO of Reebok. And so he was actually able to connect Lucy, the founder of uh, Feats, uh, with Uli Becker, and he became an advisor on her board. Wow. Um, yeah, and she's doing wonderfully. And that, that was an example of just a magical connection that can only happen when you're in the right place, in the right room with the right people, and you're all trying to move your businesses forward. Wow. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, another another sort of strong or you guys are calling them places where you're flying down but another place where you guys are doing a lot of talking out in the world is in the, in the area of capital acquisition um what can you guys say to aspiring founders who are trying to decide whether to bootstrap or fundraise um like what are the strengths and weaknesses of different approaches and how do you decide which is which yeah um i mean i, I think and full disclosure I, I spend many hours of many days just not today as a venture capitalist and as an investor. Um, don't take our money if you don't have to. Like, don't take investor money if you don't have to. Um, I, I always start with that because, look, you could wake up today and have a great business idea and you want a business that's going to provide for you and your family. Um, and the second you take somebody else's money, now you have to provide for their family. And the second you take a fund and let them get into your company, you have to provide for them. 
their family, all of their investors' family, and their investors' family's kids. And some of these funds have pension money, so you got to provide for all the little old grannies on the pension. Like, there's money out there, and it can be really useful. And there's a lot of companies that need it. And when you need it, it's the greatest thing in the world, and it's the it's the gas that makes it go. But if you don't need an investor's money, don't just go raise money because it's the cool thing to do. Mm -hmm. it, it comes with a lot of expectations, um, both explicit and a lot implicit. Um, think about it this way. If, if you just want a soundbite for it to put in your head, every dollar you take from somebody, you owe them 10. Right? I mean, that's the expectation. I don't care what they put interest rates on a convertible note or whatever. Every dollar you take from somebody, you need to, you need to try and pay them back 10 if you want that to be a really good relationship. Mm -hmm. So just go in knowing that. Uh, that said, some companies can bootstrap, some can't. Um, and that, becomes clear pretty quickly with a little bit of homework, a little bit of business canvassing or business modeling or business planning. All of those mm -hmm. are the same category. Mm -hmm. um, and if, if that starts to break down on the numbers, find an accountant, find a finance person that will help you go over it. Um, good good finance people can dig through your, your business plan very quickly and kind of tell you, yep, you're not going to make money for four years. So you need to raise some investor capital. Um, so that being said, it's pretty clear in the first you know six months to a year if you really have a handle on your business, whether you're going to be able to bootstrap or whether you need to go raise money, right? And so that kind of takes care of itself if you and, – and by the way, it's not just at the planning stage. You find that out as you go. Mm -hmm. um, the, the more interesting part of this question is, uh, to me anyways, is that company that bootstraps in the beginning, right? They get a couple clients. Uh, maybe it's a consulting type business that, you know, is paying the bills and has a staff. And then all of a sudden they have a product idea. Or they have an expansion that they want, but they don't quite have the capital to do it. Um, that's where it gets interesting because now it's like, do you need money because the market's going to get away from you and you have an opportunity that's a very short window of time and you need the money to go now? Mm -hmm. That's what venture capital is really meant for. It's like, we've got a 3D printing idea. We need to go now. This market is moving fast. We need to go faster, right? Mm -hmm. Or are you just impatient? Because there's a lot of really big companies, really successful companies that, you know, they, if you just wait six more months and let the profits pile up, you can do that expansion. If you just wait two more quarters and tighten your belt and save your pennies and cut a really good deal on a lease, you can expand into that other city, right? And that's, those are the people that should not raise money. Because if you think raising money is going to be a band-aid that fixes a cash flow problem, if you think it's going to be a Band-Aid that fixes a marketing problem, oh, if we just had $100,000 to do a marketing campaign, mm -hmm. we'd make it. No, no. You're, if you're not making it now with no money, you're not going to make it just because you get money. In fact, if anything, it's going to make you sloppy. Mm -hmm. So go get venture capital, get investors when you need it. And, and that's got to be, you know, there's a real, God, we just, this is such an opportunity and we just can't capitalize on it and it's going to go away in three months. we got to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so I know all of that sounds like the Venn diagram of when to take money is pretty small, but it is. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of company, and, and I'm being this aggressive with it intentionally. There's a lot of companies, there's a lot of venture capital out there. There's a lot of companies with venture capital out there right now. And I would posit in the market, there's something like 17,000 new companies have been formed in the past few years. In this country. Like maybe 500 of them actually warrant venture capital and probably 1,200 have it. Mm -hmm. Right. I've just seen investors and investment capital 
ruin companies as much as I've seen them successful. Do you think it makes it dif- more difficult intrinsically? Like, is there something about venture capital besides having to give back the 10 to 1? Is there something about venture capital just makes it more difficult to run a good business? Or, um, or is it just that money reveals bad habits? Um, I think, I think money actually, yeah, all, yes to all of that. Um, I think it adds stakeholders. And if you're not really clear on your vision of your company, um, you now have additional stakeholders. You know, investors invest in what they think the company will be. And if that isn't exactly what the founder thinks it will be, mm-hmm. you're setting yourself up for conflict. Sure. And the only thing that resolves that conflict is massive success, right? Like if I invest in your company, I think it's going to go this way and it doesn't, that's okay if you make me rich. Right. Right. I mean, that's just that's how it right. is. Right. So I, I do think that there is a lot of you know you take money too early, um, you can get some misalignment because we we all see the future differently. Um, I think on on your other question, does it reveal bad habits? I think it actually causes bad habits. Mm-hmm. Right. Because if if we work really hard, the three of us found a company, we work really hard, we all take a pay cut, and we do this, and at the end of the year, we got a hundred grand sitting on the table. We are going to be very very careful how we spend that money. It took us a year to make it. If, however, someone just plops a hundred grand on the table, we've not put in any work. How are we going to spend that money? We're going to buy T-shirts. We're going to buy baseball hats. We're going to buy branded sunglasses. Like, I mean, seriously, there's a. I have this running joke with a couple of my investor buddies that one day we all need to just write down how much money we've invested, put that on the front, and say, "I've invested X many dollars, and all I got." And then on the back, just have all the logos. I got. I got a stack of T-shirts, right? Because the, the money can really make this. So I know it's hard to start with nothing, but I think you got to go with nothing for a little while to really appreciate it. Then when you get money, when, when at the last minute, when you're, this is just what happens all the time with these companies. Oh, I got to have money. I got to have money. All right. Well, I can't get money. I'm going to work really hard. Well, I need money. Well, I got to work really hard. Well, I need, I can't get money. Can't get money. Then all of a sudden they wake up and they're like, wait, wait, now, now I have a couple million dollars in the bank. A flood of investors come and offer them more money. Like, mm-hmm. you can't get money when you need it. And then mm-hmm. when you don't need it, all the money in the world becomes available. Right. Just how it works. Mm. Um, what do you guys think is the most important question to have answered before approaching anybody about money? Like, before you go and appear before a VC, what question do you need answered more than anything? Oh, man, there are so many, like, just obvious ones that I'm not trying to be rude. But, like, what are you doing? What's your product? Um, I mean, I, I want to be like really like thoughtful and say, are you willing to quit your day job? <laughs> right. But frankly, before you ask other people for money, you have to invest in yourself and quitting your day job is a way of investing in yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I mean, I think, I think you've got to be really, really clear on your product. Um, even if it's not built, like if you're raising money for, for something that you're going to need, you have to be crystal clear about what your product is going to be. And what the core feature. So like if you're coming to me and saying, we're going to have an app and we can take payments and we can do blogs on the app and we can do audio on the app and pictures and all this. Whoa, 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 whoa. What's the core feature? Mm -hmm. What is the core one sentence? This is what we do. And Mm -hmm. and, and just as an exercise, take any great company you've ever heard of or thought of or or, um, looked up to and tell me in one sentence what they do. What does Tesla do? What does Facebook do? What does Google do? Right? What is Microsoft? And in the beginning, they all had Microsoft and Google have become conglomerates. But in the beginning, they all had one thing that they did. If you can't, if it takes you more than one sentence to say what you're doing, mm-hmm. 
you're never going to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a, a really helpful kind of validation focused answer. And one of the things I've found by like looking into the company lab, both other people who've been here and things like that, is that uh, you guys do a lot with, with validation. Um, what are some of the sort of common stumbling blocks you guys find as people are, when they're cooking up a business idea, where, where do they repeatedly stumble? Um, what sort of, what sort of, like, there's a lot of question marks, a lot of things that you don't have answered when you start a new business. Sometimes that means you need to think about it more. And sometimes that means you need to kick it down the river. How do you know which is which? Well, I think one of the things that people, so I heard two questions in there, but I think I'll answer the first one. I guess the thing that people stumble on the most that causes the most heartache and can really, really slow you down and cause you to spend just because your mom likes it or your buddy says he'll buy it doesn't mean anything. Like those are not customers, right? Just because your investor will do it, just because your girlfriend says, yeah, I'd love to have that. Or your boyfriend's like, I would totally do that. That doesn't mean anything. You haven't made a sale or you don't even have a potential sale until you can walk up to a customer on the mall or on the side of the street, tell them your one little sentence about what you do, and then say, would you pay me for that? Not, would you like to have that? We live in an economy of a lot of freemium stuff, right? Would you pay for that, right? So if it's like, hey, would you like to have an umbrella that can open itself when the rain is going to talk to an app and it's raining outside, you have an umbrella. Like, I'm going to make an app that's going to do all that. You're like, yeah, that's cool. Would you pay for that? Absolutely not. I don't want an umbrella opening up inside just because it's raining, right? Like, you got it. So a lot of people take false indicators um, because someone says that's a good idea. It may be a good idea. It doesn't mean it's a business, mm-hmm. right? So you got to got to get it past. Being a business is a much higher hurdle than being a good idea. Um, as far as your second question, which flows, I think, off of it, like when when do you need to just work harder and when do you need to punt? Um, I really cannot give you – I cannot honestly look at you in the face and say there's an answer to that question mm. because there have been – we have a company inside right now um, that has gone through our accelerator program. Um, last week, we had pitch night. They, we, together, we had a big, long conversation, decided not to pitch. The idea is not ready yet. It just, it's not communicable. Can't say what it is yet. But I'll tell you what, that guy is really smart. I've had some conversations with him. He's on to something. I don't quite know what it is. But he's on to something, and he really needs to keep chewing on it to find it. But it's not ready yet. Mm. Like, so I cannot tell you, is it six months for him? Is it three months for him? It's whenever he gives up um, it, it is kind of the answer there. Now, there are some ideas that are just bad that need to be stopped, like my little umbrella company we started 30 seconds ago. Um, we need to shut that down. Special thanks and big shout outs to Today Junior, whose music you are hearing on today's show. Today Junior, indie rock band coming at you straight out of Boston, Massachusetts. And you can find them on the web at todayjunior.bandcamp.com or on facebook.com slash todayjuniorboston or instagram.com slash today with an extra Y, junior with an extra R. Thanks so much, guys. You're doing great work. Really love what they're doing. And super, super glad to have them on the show today.
is going to happen in the next 12 to 18 months in Chattanooga that you guys are really excited about? Like, what are you looking forward to? The, the cool thing about Chattanooga is the next 12 to 18 months, we actually do have some clarity on what's going to happen. We, we know the companies that have raised money are going to be hiring and growing. Um, we, I, I'll tell you that the, the short-term thing that's going to, well, it's already happening, but it's going to get worse before it gets better, is we have more job demand than we have people. Mm. Um, I, I mean, for, for some of these companies, I mean, we have, you look at the capital that's come in in the past 12 to 18 months versus the jobs and the talent that are here. I mean, every kid from the computer science department at UTC that can log into Gmail will have a job. I'll tell you that. Um, and I mean, that's a pretty low bar, but, um, <laughs> no, I mean, the, the, the job stuff, um, technical talent, um, if, if you're sitting out there and like, you're like, I'm building apps and building code, but it's just not working. Come here. There'll be jobs. Um, mm. I mean, we probably have, I'm, I'm no econometrics person, but I, if I had to predict, I'd say there's probably realistically 250 technical job openings that will be filled in this community in the next 18 months. Mm. Um, and so with that, that creates what I think will be the next phase of things, which is the talent recycling that we're going to see. Um, we've already started to see, you know, OpenTable bought QuickCube, was a Chad new company. OpenTable did not have a lot of remote offices. They had a bad quarter. They shut the office down. A couple of those people moved back to San Francisco, moved from Chattanooga to San Francisco to, to go take corporate jobs at Open OpenTable. The rest took severance packages. Three of those that I know of have used those severance packages as seed investments for their own companies. Mm-hmm. Like that's the cycle that's finally starting to happen in Chattanooga. I mean, we've been at this really since Gig Tank, that Tia mentioned earlier. Five, six years, we've been trying to build this ecosystem here in town, and we're finally starting to see the talent recycling. Um, and no offense to any, anybody who considers themselves talented. I'm not saying we're chopping you up like soil sure. and eating you. I just mean the skills are coming here, and then they're being used and used again, mm-hmm. uh, which is really exciting. Um, and, and frankly, very attractive to capital. Right. That's what capital wants to say. Um and what's, you know, uh, out past, out in the, the sort of dim mists of the future, um, what's coming around here? Well, I think Chattanooga has barely, barely scratched the surface of what our gigabit infrastructure means. And really, I don't even like to call it gigabit infrastructure. I just like to call it ubiquitous fiber. Mm-hmm. I mean, so for instance, every street corner, every street lamp in this town has right below it fiber optics, which currently can go up to 10 gig. And with a couple hundred thousand, a couple million dollars worth of upgrades on EPBs part of the center, no new fiber could run a hundred gig, right? So this city is lit up in a way that even the cities that Google fiber is lighting up, they're not lighting them up like they're lighting them up more in a hub and spoke pattern. Mm -hmm. And you know, where like one neighborhood might have it and then it goes out. This, this city is literally latticed with fiber. Wow. And so, that's cool, great. We don't really even know yet what that's going to do. For instance, we got 4G phones. They're really fast. Frankly, my phone is faster than my Wi-Fi sometimes when I'm in a hotel. Uh-huh. Um, the next generation, 5G, is going to be th- this microcell technology that every instead of one big cell phone tower, you'll have like one on every block, one on every streetlight. And interestingly enough, I don't know if you remember, but our streetlights kind of have fiber underneath, right, right? right? So, like, the 5G deployment in this town is going to go a lot faster than any other town. Um, you think about all this driverless car stuff. Well, okay, driverless cars are cool. We're hearing a lot about those. But we're going to hit this real big – if you've ever seen the Gardner hype cycle, mm-hmm. we're about to hit a 
real big trough of disillusionment for about three to five years in this country because driverless cars, we're missing the infrastructure they need. We're missing charging infrastructure, and we're missing, more importantly, sensor and safety infrastructure, mm-hmm. right? So what can driverless cars not do right now? They can't see red lights because red lights aren't always in the same spot. They're not always the same red. They are, red's not always on top. They do all this stuff. Like, they can't do, they can't do stoplights. Like, in an urban environment, that's, that's fucking dangerous, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, totally. so we're not going to have them, right? It's not going to work. Well, what you need for that is a lot more sensors. Really, you're going to go through this period with driverless cars where you're going to have driverless cars and driver cars. Humans, we're, I'm still going to drive my pickup truck for mm-hmm. a while. For those to coexist, my pickup truck needs to be telling all of the driverless cars around it where it is, when I'm braking, what I'm doing. Hey, he's not looking at the wheel. Everybody brake, right? Oh, my God, he's texting. Everybody stop. Everybody. Those sensors have to be built, and they have to be ubiquitous through the community. Uh-huh. And Chattanooga, like, we built the fiber for one thing, for the, the power grid. Then we used it for Internet. It's really going to come into its own when you start talking about these these sensor-full cities, uh-huh. right? And that's... That's where I think the future of Chattanooga will be in five to ten years, is we're just going to be be one of the only places you can do this stuff in, right? And, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why we have the fiber that don't really matter, because now we have it, and it's literally everywhere in this community. And, I mean, that was the mandate, right? Wherever electricity was, they had to put fiber. Mm -hmm. So that, I think, for Chattanooga, that's what's out there in the mist right around the corner for us. Wow. My opinion. Ah, wow, guys. Um, so looking forward, um, with company lab as an organization, what's, what's the future look like for you guys? What is still missing from company lab? What are you guys eager to see kind of come to be there? And, uh, what are you excited about in terms of like what's coming ahead for company lab? You know, I, I'm going to let, I'm going to go first and let Tia bring this one home. I think one of the things I'm the most excited about is, um, so we're currently doing an executive director search. Technically, I'm the interim guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really excited about the candidates that we have, the interest that this got as far as people from around the country applying to come here, um, because I think that's really what's next for Company Lab. I think Company Lab has done a done an excellent job animating our own community, serving our own community, bringing companies here, bringing some capital here. But really, the next chapter is going to be sort of the, the, the fourth leg of that stool, if you will, mm-hmm. is getting more attention out there in the market, getting more investors here. We're seeing, you know, it's one of those things, two, if, if you're at two and you double, it doesn't feel like much, two, four, eight, 16, those are all normal numbers. Yeah. We're at that stage right now with outside capital. If you look at the number of outside investors coming to look at companies in Chattanooga, it's a trickle, but the trickle is growing really fast, mm-hmm. right? And so it's, it's doubling of nothing, which is still kind of nothing. But that's what's going to be really exciting in the next two or three years is, is Company Lab hopefully will be able to position itself as the landing pad and the, you know, the, the, the guide for outside capital that wants to come to town can come to Company Lab, land, plug in, and then find their way around. Mm. Because that's really where the next thing is going to happen. Because you know, we've done a lot of this building with our own money in Chattanooga, Chattanooga as a whole. Uh, with our own money, with now some state money, with foundation money, all of that's great, but all that's hyper local. Um, we really start to move the needle when we bring outside capital in, and so you know Bellhops and Squid and some of these other companies um, that have brought outside capital in, that has a multiplier effect that's just a lot bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so that's that's where I, I I get excited about the city and excited about Company Lab being able to play a role in that. Uh, looking forward. 
Awesome. Yeah, Jack, you summarized that very well. Um, so I've been at Collab for the last three and a half years, and even in that time, the organization has evolved pretty dramatically. Um, and I've seen it change from year to year. And I feel like at this point, we're in a place where um, we have tested ideas. We've you know thrown things against the wall. We, we're seeing what's working. We're seeing what's not working. And I think we've reached a really good point where we can try things out and adapt quickly. Um, and not waste our time on things that may not be, you know, the most useful for entrepreneurs in our area. And so I think as we look ahead and do our strategic planning with our new executive director and hopefully with the likes of Jack as well, um, we can, you know, position our organization and our entrepreneurs to be able to take their businesses to the next level. And again, perhaps make Chattanooga more of a destination for outside capital so that the incredible businesses that are here have a better chance at succeeding in the broader marketplace. No better place to end. Thanks so much, guys, for being on the show. Really appreciate your time. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks for having us. You can also find today's guests, Jack and Tia, at the Company Lab. You can find them on the web at colab.co. That's C-O-L-A-B.co. You can find them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at, at the Company Lab. Thank you all so much for listening. We love that you're spending your time with us here on the Storecast. If you like what you hear, go right on over to iTunes and give us that incredible five-star pat on the back. Write us a little review. Let us and other people know what you think of the show. Um, We look forward to spending time with you each and every week. Hope that you guys have a great day. See you next time.